As I mentioned to you there at the start of the Bible reading, uh, we do want to think about this man Lot, and particularly uh, verse 10 of this chapter. If there's one particular verse to center our thoughts around, it is this verse, Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. And maybe verse 11 is worth reading as well. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. As that last little phrase there in verse 11 indicates to us, Lot lived for a time under the godly influence of Abraham. Abraham was that man who was called the friend of God, not by any other human being looking on at Abraham's life and making a judgment about his life, but the Lord himself called Abraham by this name, that he is the friend of God. So Abraham was indeed a man very close to the Lord. And as we know, Abraham had left Ur of the Chaldees, and on that occasion when he did so, Lot, his nephew, went out with him. First of all, they went to Haran, and then they left the city of Haran and followed the fertile crescent. If you know the, the, uh, where Haran and Ur of the Chaldees are on a Bible map, there's that fertile crescent that comes up from between the two rivers, the Mesopotamia, and on in then to the northern part of what we understand as the land of Israel. That's how people would have traveled not straight across the desert, but they would have traveled around the Fertile Crescent. And that is what Abraham did. He left Ur of the Chaldees down towards the south, up to Haran, and then round and into the land of, of Israel. And all that time, Lot, his nephew, was with him. We are not told why Lot was brought uh, and why he accompanied him. Was it Abraham's desire or was it Lot's desire to come with Abraham? The scripture does not indicate that to us. But what we do know about Lot is that sadly, he ended up becoming a man preeminent for his compromise with the world and with sin. Even to the extent that when you read about him in the book of Genesis, and if that is all that you ever knew about Lot, you would be hard pushed to conclude that this man was indeed a child of God. It's only the fact that Peter makes reference to Lot in his writings and calls him just Lot that you would know then for sure that this man was indeed a child of God. You would be hard pushed, as I say, to gather that from what you read about him here in the book of Genesis. And yet this man, as I say, lived with Abraham under his godly influence, and what a, a blessing that must have been to Lot. He would have watched Abraham build those altars. We have read about some of them here in chapter 13. He would have heard the promises that God had given to Abraham to give the land to him, that the land that he was sojourning in would be given to him and to his descendants as an inheritance, and that the Lord would make of Abraham a great nation, and through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Lot must surely have known a good deal of this. He must surely have observed the obedience of Abraham. Here is a man who went out at the command of God, not knowing where he was going, a man who went out in an act of faith, 
The Lord told him where, told him that he had to leave, but the Lord did not tell him where he was going. And the Lord told Abraham, I will, I will reveal this to you in due time, but you are to go out in obedience. And, and Lot observed that. And yet for all of those great privileges and blessings and being confronted daily with the life of Abraham, we find that Lot turned into a man of compromise. A man who spent his life following others and never determining for himself to follow the Lord. A man who seemed to lack courage and conviction to stand up against the world and stand up against the sin that was prevalent in the world around him. Lot betrays all the signs of a carnal man. He's ever a babe in Christ. Never knowing any development in his life as a child of God. That's why you can't conclude from the Old Testament account of Lot that he was a just man because he's only a babe in Christ, and, and he never progressed uh, uh, beyond that. He never reached any, any degree of spiritual maturity, that it was evident, here's a man who, who is some regard, in some way is a resemblance of Abraham. He might never have reached, reached the heights that Abraham reached with God. But would you not have expected that in some way he would have been a reflection of that man who was the father of the faithful and the friend of God? His life is a contrast in many points. And I think that's why he's, he's recorded in Scripture. That's why there's such an individual as Lot. That's why he's, he sat alongside Abraham, so that there is presented to us a contrast when we read these chapters. And yes, we think about godly Abraham and, and the spiritual man that he was, and he had his ups and downs. Abraham wasn't a perfect man. The chapter begins, chapter 13 here, begins with him coming up out of Egypt. And we know that he... He went down into Egypt because of a lack of faith. The Lord never told him to leave the land of Canaan and to go down into Egypt. Never told Abraham to do that. He told Abraham to leave Ur of the Chaldees. He told Abraham to leave Haran. And he told him to journey into the, the land of Canaan. The Lord never told Abraham to leave Canaan and go down into Egypt. But Abraham did it. He saw the famine and his faith wavered. And he took matters into his own hands. So, yes, Abraham had his ups and downs. He's not a perfect man, but he's a good man. He's a godly man. He's an obedient man. And he's, he realizes the wrong. He has to be chastened. And Pharaoh, as we know, challenged him about the half lie uh, that he told about uh, Sarah. And Abraham is chastened, but he, he's back into the land. And this chapter begins with Abraham coming up out of Egypt and entering back into the land. But for all of Abraham's ups and downs, he's, he's a man who is indeed a pattern in many ways. His obedience and his faith, he's called the father of the faithful. And in that sense, the Scripture is using him as a, as a pattern. Every other child of faith, if we want to put it like that, every other child of faith will have the marks of Abraham about them. That's the sense in which we're to understand Abraham as the father of the faithful. There's children of faith, and you and I are one of those children of faith. Abraham is our father in that sense. And as a son takes on the likeness of a father in many ways, well, we're going to take on the likeness of Abraham in many ways, in the exercising of our faith too. But then you have Lot, this man who seems to run alongside Abraham, and he's a contrast and that's what I want to consider a little bit about uh, this morning is this man Lot and his compromise. There's just two points I want us to dwell upon uh, this morning in regard to this. Um, 
We might come back and think about some other things. Uh, we'll, hope we'll cover these two points this morning, but we'll maybe come back and think about some other things. Um, for example, what's chapter 14 all about? I'll just uh, highlight that in a moment. That whole chapter about those, those battles between uh, the kings and Lot, Lot being taken captive, what is, what is all that about? What is the purpose of that in Scripture? As I say, maybe we'll come another time and, and think about that, because it's something to do in the relation to, to Lot. But this morning, first of all, I want you to consider the beginnings of Lot's compromise. Because I think it is important to notice that it had very small beginnings, even unnoticeable beginnings. It began in his heart, really. It began when the focus of attention was on something else altogether. And that's what is, I think, worthy of notice and a point to apply to our own lives and circumstances in the day and age in which we live in. Here's something that started very small, very in an insignificant way, in an unnoticeable way, when everybody's focus of attention was on something else. And I'm thinking here about what happened with Abraham going down into Egypt, as I've already mentioned. The focus of attention was on on Abraham and what Abraham was doing in, in going down into Egypt. For example, if you, if you go back there to chapter 12 and verse 10, there's mention made about the famine. There was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. And I've mentioned there very briefly some of the things that happened in, in Egypt. How Abraham told the half lie. So it said that Sarah wasn't uh, his wife and that she was his sister. It was a half lie. She was his half-sister. That type of marriage arrangement was allowable way back at the beginning of time. It, it was outlawed later on in, in Leviticus. As time went by and the sin uh, developed more in the human race, then there was the outlawing of marriages that close. But prior to that time in, in Leviticus, there was the allowing of much closer marriages. So Abraham didn't tell an outright lie. He told a half lie. So the whole focus of attention is on Abraham and what Abraham had done and what Pharaoh had to say because Pharaoh finds out about this and he is, he is a rebuke to give to, to Abraham as you read there at the end of chapter 12. But there's something else happening in the background there. Lot, remember, was there. What's happening with Lot? Well, from what you read in chapter 13 here, it would suggest to us that, that Lot had developed a taste for Egypt. He liked what he had seen when he was down in Egypt. And if you notice there when in verse, chapter 13 and verse 10, when the time comes here for him to make his choice, and we'll, we'll come to think a little bit more about that in, in a moment or two, but when the time comes when he, he makes his choice as to what direction is he going to to go in, and Abraham has given him the choice, you, you go either way and I'll go the other direction. Do you notice the description that is given to us there in verse 10 of what he chose? It was like the land of Egypt. How did he know what the land of Egypt was like? He was down in Egypt. He had gone down. Abraham had taken him down into the land of Egypt, and Lot had seen a little bit of the land of Egypt, and he liked what he saw. And when that time came for him to make a choice, then it's going to influence his choice. 
He's going to choose because it's like something that he has seen and that he likes. So here's the beginnings of it. And the point that I want to emphasize is that its beginnings can be very small, maybe even undetected, unnoticed. And that makes it very dangerous then, is it not? That such a spirit can develop unknown and in such a, uh, an insignificant, small way. Maybe we could even think about the part that Abraham played in that. You know, to, to this very day, the Jews reap the consequences of what Abraham did in going down into Egypt. I take it that that's where he obtained Sarah as a servant. It tells you that Pharaoh gave him servants. If you look at chapter 12, verse 16, that he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants. Was Hagar one of those maid servants that Pharaoh gave to Abraham? She was an Egyptian. I think it's reasonable to conclude that. It doesn't say it uh, directly in Scripture, but I, I don't think we're reading too much into the Word of God to suggest that Hagar was one of those maidservants that was given to Abraham. And oh, what trouble has come from that. And subsequent, when uh, Sarah suggested that Abraham take Sarah as his wife and Ishmael was born, and the, the Lord said, he's going to be a wild man. And his hand is going to be against every man's hand. And oh, the Jews are discovering that and have discovered it right down to this very day. They're discovering that the descendants of Ishmael are just like Ishmael. Not all the Arabs in, in the Middle East are descendants of Ishmael, but evidently some of them are. And what a spirit, what a ferocious spirit there is. So maybe Abraham has a part to play in this as well. He took Lot down there. He took him into circumstances where Abraham was able to come up and he himself, it seems, has escaped the consequences of it and wasn't overly affected, although these other things developed in his, his life. But there's been a little seed that was sown in Lot's heart that's going to start to grow into something much greater and take over his life. And is that not the danger, Christian, you see, with us in life as well? Things can get into our heart and take over and we don't even know that it's happening. A little seed can be sown in our heart. A little seed of compromise with sin or the world. And it can just be dropped in there. And unbeknown to us, it's starting to grow. Because maybe we have put ourselves in a position where we've either seen or heard something that appeals to us. Maybe somebody else has taken us there. And there's a lesson there about the example that we set to others and what we do in our own lives and the influence that it has upon others. But however it comes about, there's, there's a little seed can be sown that starts to germinate. I suppose we're maybe coming a little bit past the time for sowing seeds in the, the physical world. Maybe you'll still get away with it and sowing some kinds of seeds. But you know, you just drop the little seed into the soil. And you have to wait a little while before it's going to germinate and start to put its head through the soil. And it starts to grow in such a little flimsy thing, but what it, what it can grow into eventually. And that's where, that's where Lot's trouble started. He's responsible for himself. Every individual is responsible for themselves. But that doesn't take away the, the part that other circumstances maybe have played in bringing him to this place. But he's got a taste for Egypt. And you know, 
You don't need me to tell you that Egypt is a type of the world in the Bible. Egypt is a type of the world. And here's a man who's got a taste for Egypt. And when that time comes when he's going to be put in this position where Abraham says, now Lot, you you choose what way you want to go. Lot's going to choose a direction. And it says there specifically in chapter 13 and verse 10, it was like the land of Egypt. He liked what he saw down in Egypt. And now he wants to go that way. And this is the beginnings of it. I would suggest to you as well that when you think about the beginnings of it, his decision to separate from Abraham was a most most foolish decision. There's no mention made of cattle in either Abraham's life or Lot's life until after they had been in Egypt. Now in the Bible there's the term cattle more often refers to sheep and goats. We might use that term different today when we speak about cattle. You might think about bovine animals. But in the Bible, cattle is a reference to sheep and goats. In fact, the Bible makes a distinction sometimes between little cattle and large cattle. And the little cattle are the sheep and the goats. And that's what is in reference here with these two men. But there's no mention of of cattle until these two men came up out of Egypt. Here's something else they acquired in Egypt And evidently, not only did Pharaoh give Abraham a lot of cattle, but he also then must have given Lot some cattle as well, and maybe maybe not just as much, but certainly a number. A number that when they came back up into the land of Egypt, they couldn't live with each other. The land, it tells us, couldn't couldn't, uh, cater for them. Verse 6, the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. Chapter 13, verse 6. So all of this has happened as a result of being down in the land of Egypt. They have now acquired certain things. And the acquiring of these things now means that they can't live together. There's strife. There's strife. So much so that they're going to have to go their separate ways. And as we have been highlighting, Abraham has enough faith to trust the Lord. He believes the promises the Lord has given to him. He believes the Lord will look after him. So he says to Lot, you can have first choice, Lot. You can decide what direction you're going to go in because we can't live like this any longer. Not only was there strife between them, but there was the bad influence or the bad example that it was setting uh, before others. Because if you look at verse 7, chapter 13, verse 7, here it says there was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. What's the purpose for that last statement? The Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. Is it not a reference to the fact that they witnessed this strife? Here's two men who's supposed to follow the Lord, Jehovah. Here's two men who's supposed to follow, who worship one God. They're monotheistic men. They're not like the heathen. They're not like the Canaanites and the Perizzites who believed in worshipping many gods. Here's, here's two men who claim to be different living among them who worship only one God. They only worship at one altar. The heathen worshipped at many altars. You remember that when, when Balak and Balaam, the account of, of those two individuals in Numbers, and Balak built many altars. Seven altars, in fact, was what they... That, and that's the mark of the ungodly. They worshipped many gods, therefore they built many altars. Abraham comes into the land of Israel, and he's a man that stands apart because he's only going to build one altar at a time. Yes, he's going to move from place to place, but he's only going to build one altar at a time. It was evident by his worship that he was a different man, that he worshipped a different god. 
So here's two men, Lot and Abraham, who have come in to live in the land of Canaan, and it's evident by their life that they worship a different God. They're worshiping only at one altar, and they're not like the Canaanite or the Perizzite. And then the two men start to fight, or at least their herdsmen do, and there's strife among them. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite is looking on and observing it. What kind of men are these? What kind of a God is this they serve? And Abraham realizes this, this cannot go on in, in this fashion. And that's what brings it to a head here in verse 8, where Abraham said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren. We be brethren, he says. All the time, the Canaanite and the Perizzite, remember, is watching on. So Abraham realizes this, this can't go on. This strife. This is, not of, this is not honoring to God. And as we know, strife is not honoring to God. In fact, in Corinthians, it was the mark of that Corinthian church. And Paul had to say to them in, in 1 Corinthians 3, I, I don't write onto a spiritual church. I write onto a carnal church. I write onto a carnal church. It's, this, it's the mark of carnality, strife. So Abraham knows this, this can't go on. This has to stop. And there's only one way of stopping it. And he says to Lot, we have to part. We have to go our separate ways. Now, was all that worthwhile for Lot? The accumulation of wealth to the place where there's going to be strife and he's not lo- no longer going to be living in the courts of Abraham. And he's going to launch out on his own. Is, it, is this going to be for his, his betterment? Maybe he thought that day, this is, this is great. I can get away from Abraham. I can be my own man. I can do my own thing. I can go in my own direction. He might have thought it was a, a great day that he was able to split from Abraham, but it was a disastrous day for Lot. That maybe was the worst day of his life. It may well be the worst day that that man ever had. This is the beginnings of his compromise. I'll add in something else and that is the direction that he chose to go, and we've mentioned that a little bit here already, that it was like unto the land of Egypt there in verse 10. And here he is, he lifts up his eyes, it tells you, and he, he beholds all the plain of Jordan, and he, he thinks this is going to be a perfect, a perfect area to raise these flocks that I have. All this cattle that I own now, this will be a perfect place, the plains of Jordan, well watered. That was something very important in that part of the world. Flat pasture land? Wasn't that hilly country that Abraham was going to have to go in? Some of you have been to the land of Israel. You'll know that. There's all of those hills and valleys. And then there's the plains that sweep down to, to the Jordan, sweep down to the Dead Sea. And these times, ancient times, they were, well, they were well-watered areas, pasture land. And Lot is thinking like a... Like a an earthly individual, not like a Christian. And he's bringing nothing else into his thinking at all. And he thinks, here's the perfect direction to go in. I can only do things on a grander scale. I can only get better at this if I go in this direction. He's going in a, in a, in a particular direction because, as it tells you there, verses 12 and 13, there's a direction of travel that he has now launched himself out on And it's going to bring him nearer and nearer to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord gives his estimation of those cities in verse 13. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. 
There's the Lord's estimation of it. But here's this man. He's made his choice now. So there's this little seed that started in his heart, sowing there, and it starts to germinate and grow. And here it is now, starting to manifest itself. And he's on a particular direction of travel. And is there anything that we have thought about here that we could say, well, that was a good thing that Lot did? There's nothing. There's nothing here that we could say, Lot, that was a good decision that you made. But it all begins with just a little tiny seed. And there is always that need, Christian, for us to guard our hearts against the love of the world. Because it can get in and a little seed gets sown and we can start to love the world. I'm not talking about the physical world, as you know. I'm talking about the spirit that is in the world. That worldly spirit that starts to make calculations like Lot is making calculations here. That's the spirit. And it is not going to do Lot any good. There's the beginnings. Can I take you on there and to think a little bit about the progression of it? The progression of it. Because having begun in this particular fashion, it's going to now start to multiply and, and speed up and take drastic steps forward very quickly to the place where you wouldn't think Lot, as I say, was a saved man at all. Let me quickly, again, go through a few steps here. It tells you there in verse 12, chapter 13, verse 12, that first of all, he dwelt in the cities of the plain. You'll see that Abraham dwelt in the land of Canaan, Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. So there's these plains that sweep down to what we understand as, as the Dead Sea. Remember, it, it, it wasn't like that back then. Sodom and Gomorrah hadn't, hadn't been destroyed. In fact, some people may believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were actually where the Dead Sea is. There's certainly salt pillars down there in, in the shores of the, the Dead Sea, as you would expect, with the Dead Sea being a, a salty sea. So what we understand today of that region of the world was nothing like what it was in, in Abraham's day, because Sodom and Gomorrah was not yet destroyed. And there was this fertile plain, and there were different cities. Sodom and Gomorrah were there, but there were other cities of the plain as well. And Abraham, or sorry, Lot starts to, to dwell in this region. He set his eye upon it. This is the direction of travel that he wants to go, and he's, he's living there among it. He's not putting down his roots. He hasn't forsaken the tent life. He's still a pilgrim. It tells you that in verse 12, because it goes on to say that he pitched his tent towards Sodom. So after a period of time living in that general vicinity, Lot thinks, well, I can go a little bit further. I don't have to stay away so far from those wicked men of Sodom. And we've already got the Lord's commentary there in verse 13 about those two cities. But Lot gets to the place where he says, I don't have to stay away so far. I can go a little closer. I'll pitch my tent towards them. Now, he, as I say, he's still a pilgrim. He's still in the tent life. He's still a sojourner like Abraham in many respects. But again, there's something happening here in his thinking processes and the decisions that he is making. And he has come to the conclusion, I don't have to stay away so much. I can go a little closer. And it tells you there that after having dwelt in the cities of the plain, now he pitches his tent towards Sodom. So another decision has taken place here in his thinking processes 
that he has come to the conclusion, I don't have to stand away so far. I can go a little closer. And you can see how that develops in, in anyone's heart and life. I can go a little closer to the world. I don't have to stand apart just so much. I don't have to be so different. I don't have to be so different. I don't have to stand out so different. I can go a little closer to the world. Well, that's, that's the spirit that's in Lot, and that's the spirit of Lot, where he thinks like this. And he's pitching his tent toward this, this place. He's going to evidently have dealings with the inhabitants of those cities. He's pitched his tent in their direction, so ultimately and inevitably he's going to come into contact with them to an even greater degree than, than he has. That's going to, to be inevitable. But then if you go into the next chapter, chapter 14, and look at chapter tw- uh, verse 12 of this chapter, here's, here's the next step in this progression. You can even mark these in your Bible, these four steps. Um, so we have thought about, first of all, he dwelled in the cities of the plain, then he pitched his tent towards Sodom. And when you come into chapter 14 and verse 12, you can read that verse, and it says, And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom. He's now in Sodom. Before he was in the cities of the plain, he's, he's a pilgrim still, he's living in the tent life. Now he says, well, I'm going to go in that direction. And, well, where is it inevitably going to bring him? It brings him to the place where he's dwelling. He's dwelling in Sodom. Does that not suggest to you that he has given up the tent life? He's no longer a pilgrim. He's a man who's given up that life that he had. Abraham is the man who's the the tent dweller, living on the mountain. Yes, he's living in Canaan. He has to interact at some times, but as you find, Abraham comes down from the mountain and does his business and goes back up to the mountain. But Lot, Lot has given up the tent life. Now, the tent life is a picture of, of the Christian being a pilgrim. There is that connection. It's, it's said about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as well being pilgrims and sojourners, both in the physical sense and in the spiritual sense. They lived in a tent physically, but it was an illustration of the lifestyle that they were choosing spiritually. They were pilgrims in the earth, strangers. They were men who had no abiding place. Sure, we read of that in Hebrews. Abraham looked for a city that, whose builder and maker was God. He had no abiding dwelling place in this world. He was a pilgrim, in other words. And that's, that's the spirit that is to be in the Christian. We are not to be putting down our roots in this world. We're only passing through. We're only here for a little time. But Lot, Lot's given up on that life. He's not a pilgrim anymore. He's not living in a tent anymore. He's not got that manner of, of life about him. He's, he's in a house. And I know that because if you turn over to chapter 19, and if I draw your attention to a couple of, well, three verses here, and again, you can connect all of these up, and if you mark your Bible, you may well want to to do that. Because in chapter 19, this is when the two angels came to, to Sodom prior to the destruction of that city. And it says that Lot, he, he went out to he rose up and went out to meet them. And verse 2, chapter 19, verse 2, And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. So Lot is indicating it himself for us. I live in a house. 
I'm no longer in a tent. And you can find similar verses. I'm not going to go read them. Uh, verse 4 and verse 10. In both of those verses as well, you will find references to Lot's house. So, if we, if we take that overall picture of what's happening to this man, he's moving away from a particular lifestyle and he's living another way now. And here he is living in Sodom and he's living in a house. No harm in living in a house nowadays. But when we're thinking here about the picture of the Bible and what it's, what it's representing by all of this, does that not suggest to you this man is, is on a downward progression? These are not good progressive steps. These are not going to benefit Lot, nor his family, the direction of travel that he's on. It's not going to do him any good. And the Christian does need to remember, and here's the point of application, we are pilgrims. We are in the world, but we are not off the world. Yes, we are here for a time, and we have to interact with the world to some degree, but the Bible emphasizes that point. We are not off the world. We have a different spirit. We are to have the spirit of the pilgrim. I'm only passing through. The unconverted, they think this is all there is and they don't want anything else. And they want everlasting life here in this world. They won't, they won't get it, but that's what they want. They want to live forever here. But a Christian doesn't want to live forever here. A Christian is not going to live forever here. The Christian knows I'm, I'm only passing through. I've been given an allotted span and I will be here as long as the Lord permits and I'm going home. So that's the spirit that is to be in, in a Christian, not, not like Lot. Lot's giving up that life, settling down. And then as well, if we can take it at another stage, and here's the next uh, stage that you can, you can take it. So not only is he dwelling in Sodom, but also that he's sitting in the gate of Sodom. And if you look there, if you're still at chapter 19 of Genesis, in verse 1, you will find that phrase, Lot set in the gate of Sodom. And then verse 9, it says, this is to do with Lot and what he had to say to the men who had gathered outside his house. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And that gives us the explanation of what it means to sit in the gate. That was where the city judges, city rulers met. I'll give you another example of it in, in the scriptures. Remember the, the situation that developed with, with Ruth, Naomi? And Naomi told, told Ruth to go and meet Boaz and, and claim the rights of kinsman redeemer from him. And without going into all of those details, there was that provision in Israel that a widow like Ruth could claim the rights of a kinsman redeemer. And what did Boaz have to do? He says, there's, there's some matters have to be settled here because there's another kinsman nearer than I. And where did Boaz go to sort out those problems? He went to the gate of the city, the city of Bethlehem. And he gathered there with the, the city rulers, the elders of the city, who were judges and rulers in all of these things. And he transacted the business at the city gate. And he got the right to be the kinsman redeemer because the one who was closer than him did not want to perform those responsibilities and duties. And Boaz said, if you don't do it, then I will do it. But that was a legal transaction that was taken and, and, and carried through and it was done at the gate of the city. 
So that's the significance of this statement in Genesis 19, verse 1. Lot was at the gate or sat in the gate of Sodom. It just wasn't that he was out sunning himself and that he was out wanting to see everybody that was going by. It wasn't the fact he was nosy. And he just wanted to see what was going on. He's sitting in the gate. He's a judge. And that's the reference in verse 9 then when these people, these men of Sodom said, oh, this man has come in and he's, he's a judge now. Well, we're going to teach him a thing or two. So the people are, are acknowledging that Lot is a judge in the city. He's a ruler in the city. What a, what a change from living in the courts of godly Abraham, from being in the tents of godly Abraham. Lot is now a judge in Sodom. How far he has, he has drifted away. Turn over, please, if you would, and with this we will conclude. Second Peter. I mentioned that you would be hard pushed to conclude from what you read in Genesis that, that Lot was a child of God at all. And it's, it's Peter who, who gives us this conclusive evidence. And after all, he's writing under inspiration. That, But I, I want you to notice what it says, what Peter had to say about Lot. Second Peter chapter 2. And verse 6, you will read there about the, the, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. But then it's, it's the next two verses that I want you to notice. So 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, And delivered just Lot. Well, we've already alluded to that statement. He's a just man. So he was a believer. He was a child of God. But then notice, notice what follows. Vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And the word conversation back in Bible times refers to conduct, not just your spoken words. I know it's a much narrower meaning today, and we've highlighted that before, that that's, that is the case. So, vexed with the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. That's where Lot ends up. He ends up as a man who is vexed with the filthy conduct of the wicked because he's got that close to it. And it says that wherever, in verse 8, seeing and hearing, and the, the, the meaning of those words, there's, there's different words for seeing. And the word there, that word there just means a glance. You can look at something that, and you can you know, consider it and look at it for a long time and be very diligent in considering it, or something that you just see by way of a glance. And that's the word that is here. Every glance, every, everywhere he looked. This, this was just everywhere. Everywhere he looked. And the word for hearing is the, is the word akin to a rumor. Every rumor, every story, every piece of news that was transferred from one person to another was all about their sins. And Lot is in the midst of it. And it tells us that he's vexed with this conduct. He's vexing his soul. The, the word is, appears twice there, both uh, once in verse 7 and also in verse, verse 8. Here's a man searing his conscience. Searing his conscience. As I said at the start, you have godly Abraham set, set down there as, as the pattern to follow. And then there's this man, Lot, that runs alongside. It's a contrast. He's everything Abraham wasn't. I simply say to you, Christian, as we close, which, which one of those two men are you to, and I to follow? 
Are we to be like Abraham or Lot? And I've sought to draw out today some of the things that you can notice about how this all started in Lot and how it progressed. And do we not need to be on our guard? We live in a wicked day. The days of Sodom are to return. The Lord Jesus said that. And maybe we could rightly conclude today we live in such days, which points to the coming of the Lord draweth nigh too. Well, help us to be like Abraham and and be warned from Lot.